Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is September 14th, 2020, and here with me on this September morn after a very busy Labor Day week is my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. April, we potathoned until the week became a brand new day. We did indeed. We potathoned <laughs> until we could potathon no more. That's right. We want to thank everybody that listened and supported us last week for our first annual potathon. If you're listening to this on the day that we released it on Monday, September 14th, know that I and my cat Toby have been choosing the winners of this big drawing. We are doing it even as you listen to this, and that we are going to be contacting those winners tomorrow. And we'll announce them also on our September 21st episode. Excellent. Yes. Just to be clear, you mean, April, that we'll email the winners on September 15th. That's Tuesday. That is correct. Yes. So you should be hearing one way or another. And of course, everybody who made a contribution over, you know, $5 or more is automatically a winner because you are going to get to listen to these special episodes that Jen and I will be producing for the equinoxes and the solstices. Woohoo! Yes, absolutely. As we speak to you, we have no idea what they're going to be, <laughs> what they're going to be like, but we can guarantee you fresh new content on the subject. It'll be fun. Coming up on September 22nd, I think it is. Exactly. That's the equinox. Yes, of the Libra equinox. And we call it that. I mean, here in the the U.S., we call that the autumnal equinox. But of course, for our friends down under, that's the vernal equinox. So we want to be inclusive, hemispherically inclusive. Yes. And we also want to give a special shout out to certain countries that the podcast has been on the top charts there over the past months. And that is in Latvia, Norway, India, Portugal, and New Zealand. And we really thank you and want to say Yay! Well, yay, and I want to know what it... Please let us hear from you if you're a listener in one of these countries. We just would love to hear from you. Now, what is it that you're finding engaging about the podcast? Maybe they like hearing about Bob Ross. Well, this is what we were discussing this, and Jen said, do you think people are listening? And they, who is this Bob Ross? And how many cats do people in the United States have? <laughs> You know, we also have a lot of listeners in certain other countries, and I want to give a shout out to listeners, of course, in the U.S., but also in Canada and Australia, the U.K., the Netherlands, and Germany. Just a ton of people that are listening in those countries. So thanks, everyone. Huzzah! We appreciate you. Thank you. We love watching those statistics and seeing where people are and imagining you walking around in these foreign lands and listening to our chit chat each week. So thank you for joining us. And thanks again to all of you that helped make our first potathon a spectacular success. Yes, very <laughs> successful. Okay, well, let's talk about this week because, you know, as you all know, we're always recording a week in advance of anything, so we never really know what day it is. But right. what we're looking at today on September 14th is the sun in a trine aspect with Pluto at 4.05 p.m., And that's the sun in Virgo, nearly 23 degrees of Virgo, and Pluto, of course, still in Capricorn, seemingly forever, at 23 degrees Cap. The Sabian symbols for the sun and Pluto when they make this trine is 23 Virgo, an animal trainer, one that I really like. That's the degree of my natal Mars. Oh, and. Interesting. In some iterations of the Sabian symbols, they explicitly describe this as a lion tamer. (laughs) 
Do your, your Leo planets love that? Yeah, yeah. And Johnny found this beautiful poster for me for my birthday one year. Actually, we were in a hotel, some hotel in Old Town, San Diego, where they also have a restaurant. And in the lobby, they had this beautiful picture of a lion tamer. So he got me that poster. And soon after, I realized that this was the Sabian symbol for my Mars. So That's great. And the Sabian symbol for 23 Capricorn is two awards for bravery and war. Which is the same Sabian symbol from back in January, April, at the Saturn and Pluto mm, conjunction degree. Okay. So the sun is touching on that very sensitive point in the sky this week. Yes, where a lot happened back in January. And continues to happen now. Yeah, right, exactly. Now, both of these Sabian symbols do seem related to bravery and power and to confronting dangerous things. How I'm reading this, because the sun is in Virgo, which focuses on minutiae rather than the big picture. The inference here to me is that the power that we have derives at this time from excellence in handling small details. Sun and Virgo is the small details part, and that is what empowers us because Pluto is the planet of power. I like that. Yeah, it reminded me of that old adage, take care of the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Meaning if you just pay attention to the small components of something, something very big can grow from it. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Exactly. So Sun trying Pluto, I think, begins the week with that resounding tone. A trine's a nice aspect. Having these two planets connecting to each other with a trine is nice to see because in many ways, they're polar opposites. The sun is about the life force and the joy of just being alive and able to create and be in the world. And Pluto is a constant reminder that that doesn't last, that we aren't here forever. So that the things that we do this week and really all the time are best done in the service of something larger that will outlive us. So this talks of uniting with a larger cause that doesn't just celebrate your individual ego, as we see with the sun, but instead uses all of your wonderful creative talents in the service of something larger. That's lovely. And if folks want to hear more about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction from back in January, because we're talking about this all happening on that same degree, there are three episodes that you can actually listen to if you want. The first one being episode six, Eat More Crunchy Things. <laughs> we touched on the Saturn-Pluto conjunction during that episode. And then episodes seven and eight, we talked quite a bit about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So I'll link those in the show notes. Yeah, because that's where at least Pluto is now. And the sun is shining from a slightly different direction. but. It's just a different perspective on that same old issue we've been working on since January, really. But it's sort of warming that spot and giving it a little new life right now. And a little illumination, a little light, a little say, this is what's going on now with regard to what was started then in January. Okay. We also, the next day on September 15th at 8.28 a.m. Pacific time, we have Venus in Leo square Uranus in Taurus. Two planets that don't necessarily love being together, even under the best of circumstances. And a square is not the best of circumstances. It's kind of an argumentative aspect. Yeah, it's kind of scratchy, kind of itchy and scratchy. Mm -hmm. Venus, of course, the planet of relationship, of money, of affection, of having a good time, especially in Leo. Uranus, a planet of sudden change and unexpected developments. So what we might see on this day, or really kind of in this week, 
would be unexpected expenses maybe that come up or unexpected income or sometimes both. It could be one of these things where you get a bonus from something and then immediately the next day your car breaks down and you have to spend exactly that amount of money on the car. So that's sometimes how this kind of friction could work between Venus and Uranus. There can be unexpected developments in relationships, and usually this is around the subject of independence, which is what Uranus pushes for, for us to just be ourselves, individuals. That's why it's so at odds often with Venus, which is about the ways that, of course, that we connect with each other. So around the subject of independence, about somebody in the relationship maybe needing more variety or more time with their friends or something like that. And this is the continuation of a story that began on March 8th when Venus and Uranus came together in a conjunction. Just before the pandemic and all of that stuff happened. Yes. Venus is on the Sabian symbol, children on a swing in a huge oak tree. And this is a symbol that we've heard about from time to time over recent months. And the Sabian symbol for 11 Taurus is the lovely one about a woman sprinkling flowers. That's a nice one. They're two nice symbols. Even though the two planets are a bit at odds, I think that there is the potential for an outcome of having some enjoyment. I mean, sometimes in a relationship, you need to wake things up a little bit. And that's what this aspect between Venus and Uranus could also indicate, that you just kind of realize, wow, you know, since March, we've been sitting in quarantine, you know, and those of us who are in relationships, and I feel very lucky to be in one during this time, a lot of people are alone at home. But the challenge of being with the same person every day, 24 hours a day, is also considerable because you can get a little stale, get a little used to each other. So Venus Square Uranus says, oh, well, you kind of wake up to each other this week. I looked up when we first talked about those symbols, April, and it was actually at a first quarter moon on April 30th on episode 23, Talking Taurus and the Void of Course Moon. Mm. And we spoke more about the symbols then, so I'll link that one as well in the show notes. Well, how well done. Good sleuthing, Jen. Encyclopedia Brown over here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) B-R-A-U-N, of course. Well, the sun this week will make a square aspect to the lunar nodes, to the north and south nodes, on September 16th at 5.53 p.m. Pacific at 24.35 Virgo, Gemini, and Sag. This is a perfect opportunity to touch lightly on a subject that you wanted us to share a little bit more about with our listeners, which is midpoints. What do they mean? Why look at a midpoint and what does it matter? Let's say you have the lunar nodes. This is a perfect example. The north and south nodes are connected to either end of a polarity. You picture it like barbells and the north node is on one end of it and the south node is on the other end. And let's say that you have a bodybuilder standing in the middle, holding that in the middle so that they can push it up. He's at the midpoint or she is at the midpoint between either end of the barbell. Just means there is a point exactly in between two planets or bodies. And that's a sensitive point because it's the point at which they meet. That's a great example. Yeah. If something touches that... If somebody comes along behind the bodybuilder and kind of, you know, shoves him or kind of tries to reposition him a little bit, each end of the barbell is going to feel it. It gets rocked a little bit. Anytime you have what we call a T-square configuration where we have two planets opposed each other and a third planet that makes a square to both of them at 90 degrees, 
it is sitting at the midpoint. As an easy example, if you have a planet at 10 degrees of Virgo and a planet at 12 degrees of Virgo, the midpoint between them is 11, right? Yes. It's exactly the same with any two points in the chart. Even if they're far apart, you can mathematically derive what is the point of longitude where they meet. That's exactly in between the two of them. Now, the reason this is important is because it's a sensitive point. Like I said, if anything is sort of jostling the bodybuilder or something comes along and impacts that midpoint, like a planet coming along to fill that point, both ends of that opposition feel it. Yeah, that makes sense. In someone's birth chart, April, for each of two planets, there's a midpoint that exists. Mm -hmm. I've heard that when planets transit over that point, something awakens, something gets stirred. Right. So even if those two planets are not in any relationship to each other by aspect at all, if something hits that midpoint, the two of them suddenly get a glimpse of each other. There's a connection there. Yeah, there's a connection. And they waken up to each other. Some are more sensitive than others. Definitely, if you have two planets that are square each other, 90 degrees approximately, and then something comes along and hits both of them, that's activating a square. It's waking up a point of conflict between those planets. Whereas if they have no relationship at all in the chart, if something activates at midpoint, they'll become aware of each other, they'll be drawn into each other's sphere, but it's not necessarily as dramatic because there is no unfinished business that they're being asked to resolve. They're already sort of getting along. Yeah, or just not really having a lot to do with each other, if they're not making any major aspect to each other at all. Yeah. So right now we have Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn all in Capricorn. And Pluto more or less is sort of in between those. Mm -hmm. Is that a big deal right now that Pluto's sort of in between Jupiter and Saturn? It's not exact today or anything, but it's been on and off a little bit. Pluto's been transiting over and sort of sits on that midpoint. Does that matter in terms of what's happening in that Capricorn house right now? I think it does matter, but I think it's pretty subtle. I think the fact that the three of them are just in the same neighborhood, they're sitting very close together. Say you've got three of them sitting at a dinner table and maybe one of them gets up and goes in the other room for something, comes back, sits on the other side of Pluto. The relationship is slightly changed. But basically, they're all just in a tight little grouping there around the table trying to work some things out. Yeah, okay. So I don't think that it's completely insignificant. But when you're talking about something that moves that slowly, though, if there is a midpoint between two planets in your chart that falls at 22 degrees of Capricorn, where Pluto is today, you're going to be feeling that influence of Pluto for a pretty significant amount of time. It's been back and forth on 22 degrees for probably a year and a half going back and forth. True. So especially if that's a midpoint between two planets in your chart that are already in conflict with each other, or maybe if they're in trine with each other too, if they have some relationship, this can be a big trigger. Definitely. Yeah. And any planets in your chart basically between 17 and 26 of the cardinal signs would be affected, would be kind of a big deal right now. And that's Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn. 
Yeah, and we might expand that out to 27 because that's where Mars is at the moment. Oh. And it's in a cardinal sign. So yeah. basically from mid to late cardinal, you're dealing with a lot mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. It's a good thing you learned how to juggle back in the day. (laughs) That's excellent. That brings us to the sun being square, the lunar nodes, which means we're also exactly halfway through eclipse seasons. Okay, yeah. And we do have an eclipse that's coming up on December 14th, a solar eclipse at 23 degrees of Sagittarius. Which seems weird to be talking about it this early, but yeah, I guess that's the purpose of the midpoint. That's the power of the midpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people will often ask me because I write a lot about eclipses. And they'll ask, when will I begin to feel the eclipse? Well, it's usually during these midpoint seasons when the sun makes its aspects to the lunar nodes or to the previous eclipse points or to the next eclipse points. That's what it's doing now. And it's already getting us primed 90 days in advance to what we can be looking ahead to with that big solar eclipse at 23 Sagittarius on December 14th. So what's happening is Virgo, which is analytical, the sun in Virgo, is like arbitrating between the Sagittarius south node, which is I believe this, and the Gemini north node, which says believe nothing, entertain possibilities, which is Carolyn Casey's great phrase that I always equate to Gemini. Caroline Casey's an astrologer. Wonderful astrologer, yes. Mm -hmm. So having the sun there sort of arbitrating between the two and saying, Actually, neither of you has the total picture. Sort of saying, okay, Gemini, let's hear from you. Okay, Sag, let's hear from you. And then let's actually look at the points of commonality, perhaps. What is actually the truth? I always think of Virgo and its opposite sign, Pisces, as having to do with finding the truth. And Virgo does it analytically, and Pisces tends to do it through faith and intuition. So that is where we are at this week. And we talked quite a bit about the lunar nodes moving into Gemini and Sagittarius in episode 24, Scorpio, full moon, and lunar nodes for grasshoppers. So I'll be linking a lot of episodes in the show notes this week. So you could just dabble your happy little toes (laughs) in our back catalog. Absolutely. So April, with the north node, though, in Gemini, It's really saying right now, the point is to kind of follow that path of curiosity and learning more as opposed to just going strictly on faith. Yeah, or strictly on what you believe. Oh, yeah, that's better. Which is subtly different. That's a better way of saying it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because faith is really the territory of Pisces. I mean, Pisces and Sagittarius are both ruled by Jupiter, so they do have that in common. But there is a distinctly different flavor to their ways of knowing about the world. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And now it's time for Moonwatch. Moonwatch. <laughs> Play it. <laughs> that was a little different. You did that a little bit differently this I week. I know. It was haunting. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling the influence of <laughs> Neptune as we both have been. Oh, yes. So we have a new moon. We are already at the Virgo new moon. That's so hard to believe. I know it is. 25 degrees and one minute of Virgo on September 17th at 4 a.m. Pacific time with the Sabian symbol for the new moon point at 26 Virgo being a boy with a sensor. 
Anasenser, uh, C-E-N-S-E-R. It's like in a Catholic church, they do the incense. Yes. They sort of wave this censer, you know, as they walk down the aisle. It's the container that holds the incense Mm -hmm. and the priest walks down with the censer and swings it back and forth. And this beautiful scent, if you like that sort of scent, I guess, comes out from it and fills the church. It's wonderful. It's like frankincense and myrrh or something. And it's sort of like a smudge wand. A lot of us who do ritual, you know, have this wand made of sage leaves that are bound together, and we like that. Gives out a beautifully fragrant and cleansing smoke. The idea is for purification. Yeah, so, and that fits with the Newman and Virgo really well, I think. The cleansing, the smudging, the getting rid of toxic, not just junk in your house, but toxic energy that is caught up in especially your physical objects. I really like at this time of year to do a little bit of a house cleaning ritual. And sometimes I get more elaborate than others, depending on how much time I have. But this is the perfect time of year. I know a lot of us during quarantine have been getting rid of a lot of stuff, a lot of clutter. You're at home all the time. You don't want to be tripping all over this stuff. It's a good time of year for that. It's a good time to organize your drawers and clean all the old junk out of your pantry. Because although it seems on the face of things that you're just tidying your house, I think in a ritual sense, it's about decluttering your life and getting rid of obligations that don't suit you anymore or thought patterns that are not really working for you. I like you likening it to thought patterns too. Yeah, because Virgo is ruled by Mercury. Yeah, the planet of thought and communication. Mm-hmm. It's also a similar message that we see in the new moon chart with the new moon degree opposed Neptune. It's not exact, but they're definitely within orb. And that brings that spiritual element to it as well. Instead of just being about, oh, this is my Virgo house cleaning time of the year. I used to do a thing where I would infuse some water with lemon and go around and sprinkle it in the corners of the house and maybe sprinkle a little salt and then sweep it up. That's lovely. It's like starting with a clean slate. Exactly. Yeah. And the house, I mean, maybe it's a placebo effect, but I always felt that the house felt calmer and happier after I did that. And so did I. So that's Something for you to think about at the new moon. Feng Shui experts and folks would agree with you, you know, that there is some truth to that energy of clearing stuff out and making space to bring something new into your life. And at the very least, it's a sign of good faith to the universe to say, I'm done with this stuff. Please bring me the new things that are more appropriate to my life now. Yeah. I've read an excellent clutter clearing book that I will link in the show notes by Karen Kingston. Oh. Called Clear Your Clutter with Feng Shui. Like it? It's fantastic. Yes, it's great. I read it, oh, years ago, but it's one that I always remember. It kind of changed my life. Wow. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine had another book that she likes, Move Your Stuff, Change Your Life, hmm. I think is the name of it. And we'll link that one as well. Yeah, definitely. In the show notes. As most of our listeners probably know by now, if they are on my mailing list for my website at bigskyastrology.com forward slash subscribe, a part of the benefits that you get from being on my mailing list is at every new moon, you get a little workbook, a lunar workbook. And these are some of the ideas that I share in this workbook 
of ways to work with that new moon spirit. They're great workbooks because it really brings you through each month and what's happening and how you can find that in your chart and what that all means. So I suggest folks do go to BigSkyAstrology.com and sign up. Thank you. I do too. Yeah, for sure. Also, in this new moon chart, we have the Sun trine Saturn. It happens on the same day at 2.36 p.m. at just over 25 degrees of Virgo and Capricorn. And I think this really calls back to the Sun trine Pluto that we talked about earlier on September 14th, because it's also related to the idea of discipline and the ability to work hard, have a good work ethic whenever you have Virgo and Capricorn that come together. And that this can be the start of a new job or career project, new kind of work. So make sure that it's whatever it is that you embark on now is aligned with your most authentic self, which is what I always associate with that Sabian symbol for Saturn at this new moon, which is 26 Capricorn, a water sprite. And it just brings to mind the image of this little earth spirit, you know, frolicking in in the water. And in some iterations of the symbol, you see that it's naked. And so it's the purest expression, the authentic self. I like that they both also have a sense of innocence because it's a boy with a sensor. Mm-hmm. It's not a grown adult. It's a boy, you know, a child. Mm-hmm. They both have that sense of innocence to me, too, the water sprite as well. Very true. Sorry, I'm pouring water. <laughs> April's pouring water right now, everyone. <laughs> I'm a water sprite. She's thirsty, so thirsty. It's so hot in San Diego. It has been hot. Oh my gosh, it was over. I was telling Jen, it was over 100 degrees here all weekend. She needs to keep hydrated. There we go. Well, we finish up this episode talking about a couple of aspects that Mercury and Libra will be making. As it gets close to the end of its sign, on the 17th, it will make a square to Jupiter at 3.35 a.m., And on September 20th, it makes a square to Pluto at 10.18 p.m. Pacific time. Okay. So Mercury and Libra wants to have a dialogue. And it wants each person to have their turn, to have their say. What happens when it makes a square to something like Jupiter is that conversation gets out of balance. Because Jupiter is big. (laughs) It takes a lot to offset Jupiter. And Mercury isn't quite up to the task. So the square between the two just says one person will probably be doing way too much talking and the other person sitting there being polite but thinking, will I ever get a word in edgewise? The other thing that can happen when Mercury is squared Jupiter is you can have philosophical disagreements. Mercury is the conversational part. Jupiter is the philosophical part. And the square is the disagreement. So it can be having good discussions and airing out disagreements about the basic big picture approach to things. Whereas with Mercury square Pluto, you have a situation where conversations can go really, really deep. It describes words that prompt a power struggle or language that's kind of pointed, very direct. Or it can be that you're trying to communicate with someone, but they're kind of shutting you down. That can be Pluto as well when it's squared. But on the plus side, this goes back to what we were talking about with the new moon is there is a magical and transformational element of Pluto as well. So this is an excellent time to continue the rich, any ritual that was begun at the new moon a few days earlier. That's nice. Because your words can have tremendous power. And although we talk about setting intentions at the new moon, and I think that's a good thing. This is still very close to the new moon. 
And this is the moment to actually sit down, I think, and commit words to paper. Hmm. They can be very powerful to manifest and summon the things that you really want to see come your way. So with Mercury, too, it might be about listening to your inner voice. That's a good insight. Which also would be helpful to get that down on paper then, Mm -hmm. to follow up with what you said. Yeah. I always think of Libra, you know, Mercury's in Libra, and I always think of Libra as being associated with mirrors, where you're kind of looking into it. I caught Violet looking in the mirror the other day and absolutely fascinated by the beautiful creature that she (laughs) saw there. But it is a symbol of looking within. It's a symbol of, you know looking deeply into the abyss, you know, and seeing what we find there and getting clear with ourselves Mm -hmm. about a few important things, which is always a good thing to do before you go out and start engaging with others in deep, important conversations. So true. Yeah. The sun will be following in Mercury's footsteps in, I don't know, a week or two, Mm -hmm. because the sun will be entering Libra next week, and Mercury's making all of these hard aspects to the Capricorn planets, and then here comes the sun. So maybe you'll get a message about something, you write it down, you try to remember it, and then here comes the sun, and you can pick up that message and run with it. I like how you're thinking there. (laughs) Thanks. No, it's very good. The Mercury is the thinking element and the messages. Mm. It's like a messenger going forth ahead of the sun and getting the lay of the land. And then coming back to the sun, okay, this is what you're going to run into up there. And here are where the monsters are. And this is where the potholes are. Uh Might make it a little bit easier for the sun as it embarks in its journey through Libra, which, as you imply, is not going to be a walk through the park this year, Mm -hmm. because it does have to contend with Mars and Aries and lots of planets in Capricorn. We'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes. Of course we will. Well, my friend, that is everything on the show sheet. Have we done it? Episode 47. There it is. Huzzah! 47. We're getting close to 50, April. I know we are. Well, that potathon really racked the numbers up. <laughs> yeah. We just kind of leaped across a whole bunch at once. Well, we want to thank you all for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the number one way of helping new people find our show. You can also leave a rating or a review. We love that. And we hope that you'll help us spread the word about the podcast by telling a friend. You can always read the show notes and full transcripts for each episode and leave your comments at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. Thank you to everyone who donated last week during our podathon. Now, if you would like to receive the exclusive episodes that we talked about earlier that we'll be producing four times a year at the equinoxes and solstices, go to BigSkyAstropod.com and you can still kick in $5 or more and we'll add you to the list of listeners who are going to receive those special episodes. So one's coming up next week already. And if you want to be on that list, go ahead and make a donation. It's not too late for that piece of it. Yeah, we're still working out exactly how we're going to get those to you, but you will be getting an email that will let you know how to access those episodes when the time comes. Excellent. All right. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.